Hey, it's Bill Simmons from The Ringer, and this is a podcast called The Rewatchables. We have been doing it really since 2017. It started with how much we love the movie Heat. We decided to structure a whole podcast with categories, most rewatchable scene, who won the movie, Apex Mountain, what age the best. But here's the thing. If you want the full archive, you can hear them only on Spotify for free, by the way. So make sure to follow The Rewatchables on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Duncan. Duncan just dropped a new kind of energy, and they call it sparked energy. Are you a spontaneous spirit who likes bringing a high-octane feel to the group chat? Grab a berry burst sparked energy. Love bringing that upbeat comedy vibe wherever you go? Turn the fun up to 11 with their peach sunshine flavor. Whatever your energy, Duncan's here to match it with a revitalizing burst of caffeine and full-on fruit flavors. Even better? A medium sparked energy is $3 now through March 19th. Drop by and get sparked by Duncan. Sparked energy drinks are fruit flavored, contain 0% fruit juice. Beverages contain caffeine from caffeine and guarana. Participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. For over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the old Republic. Before the dark times. Before the Empire. The darkness and the light wage a constant war within you. The balance is tipped one way now, but it can easily be tipped back. Savior, conqueror, hero, villain. You are all things, Revan, and yet you are nothing. In the end, you belong to neither the light nor the darkness. You will forever stand alone. Welcome into the Ringerverse, your Nexus podcast feed for all things fandom. I am Ben Lindbergh, a senior editor at The Ringer, and I'm old enough to remember when Bioware role-playing games used to say, you must gather your party before venturing forth. And as always, my party consists of a co-host whose presence makes every podcast a party, unless she's secretly a Sith Lord whose memory was wiped and replaced with a new, nicer identity. Her name is Jessica Clemens. Hello, Jessica. Hi, even if my memory is wiped, I'd still be a Sith Lord. I think I'd still go to the dark side. This is the only time that I did not try to go to the dark side. We all have to make that decision every day in our <laughs> lives and also in our digital lives. And, and Absolutely. You've chosen the dark side, and I support it's, that. It's more fun. I think it it's is. just more fun. It's more chaotic. It, it definitely is. It's a... A path to quick rewards and also sometimes tragedy. But last time I accused you of being a secret scroll, and now I'm accusing you of being a, a secret Sith Lord. So this is no way to treat 
a co-host, except you're not a secret Sith Lord. You're right out in the open, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. I'm not hiding anything. I know that I'm a bad person. (laughs) This is the third edition of the regular gaming pods that Darth Clemens and I are hosting here on the Ringerverse. And guess what? We are close to having a name. Closer, (laughs) at least. (laughs) I know it's taken us a while. We've picked a few favorites, and now we're just waiting for the all clear from corporate to tell you what we chose. So it's just a lot of layers of approval involved here. We we can't just wing it and call ourselves something. We got to run it up the, the flagpole, run it up the chain, get the go ahead. So sometime soon, the Ringerverse trio of the House of R, the Midnight Boys and Mint Edition will become a quartet. But really, what's in a name? Sometimes you go by one name for a while, only to learn that the Jedi Council was hiding a different name from you all along. What matters more are your actions and choices. And today, we are making the choice to talk about a stone-cold classic, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, which turns 20 years old this week. Jess, I know I'm an aging millennial, but (laughs) I'm not sure I've ever felt as old as when I realized that a game I played and loved in high school was about to be 20 now I know how Van feels, I guess. Just just Oof. put me out to pasture. I'm no, no, crumbling no. Crumbling into dust. It. We need years. you. <laughs> it can't be. It can't be that old. That means that I am a lot older than that. That's just that's sort of a scary thought. That's the part of you that I love, Ben, um, is how <laughs> old you are. No, it's that when it does come to the games like this, it's a classic game where you played it and you were like, I remember every moment of this and the reveals and everything that came with it. Whereas I, a very young, a young lad, uh, didn't have the opportunity to play this game and so i played it now as an adult and it's i i'm excited to talk about it because i do really enjoy it thoroughly and i come from a different perspective than you do on this game so that's why i'm really excited to talk about it perfect we're going to bring different perspectives to a lot of games that we play and talk about on this podcast. And I I think that's a good way to do it. If we were all just uh, reminiscing nostalgically about the same games from the same times, that'd be boring. So we're bringing different views here. And we launched the show in the middle of summer showcase season and a bunch of blockbuster debuts, Diablo and Street Fighter and Final Fantasy. So we've had our hands full with announcements and new releases. But from time to time, we want to turn back the clock to talk about a landmark game that meant a lot to one or both of us and hopefully a lot of Ringerverse listeners. And what better game to begin these replay value lookbacks with than the truly iconic KOTOR. We throw that term around, that adjective perhaps gets overused, but it, it is fitting when it comes to KOTOR. But before we rewind to a really long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, a few Ringerverse programming reminders. On Wednesday... The Midnight Boys will continue Rebecca Ferguson week at the Ringiverse by riding their motorcycles into the studio to discuss Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, as well as Secret Invasion Episode 4. On Friday, House of R will review their best of 2023 so far. And this weekend, one Jessica Clements, if that is her real name we'll have her latest Secret Invasion video breakdown. And Jess, I'm enjoying your videos more than the series itself so far. <laughs> that, <laughs> you're doing, okay. the you're thing doing is, a great job. That's not that high of a praise. <laughs> that's that's not that high of a praise. That is not that high of a praise. But I also like, I like going, if, when you said, if that's your real name, I like the idea of going by Darth Clemens. Um, okay. And I imagine me looking exactly like Darth Maul, though. I copied every part of his look. But yes, no, it it's fun doing the videos. Go watch them. Go listen to me. 
Um, and uh, it's shorter than the episodes of Secret Invasion. <laughs> yes. There's that. Yes. Yeah. Oh, watch God. instead of Secret Invasion. Just so uh, watch the video breakdown. Save yourself some time. I'm giving you the Easter eggs. I'm recapping the most important parts. So it's it's, uh, it's a little bit easier. It's, right. I'll be Samuel Jackson. I'll be your Samuel Jackson if you want. <laughs> and remember, in addition to following the show at Ringerverse on all the socials or most of the socials, I don't think we're on threads yet. Jomi's got to get on that. You can email me and Jess at ringerbursegaming at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. Okay, Jess, are you ready to talk about an elegant game from a lower resolution age? Oh, God, yes. Okay, it's a yes, yes. I download. I, I'm so excited to get into this resolution part. <laughs> <laughs> right. So why are we talking about KOTOR? Well, it's never a bad time to talk about KOTOR. I could talk about KOTOR every week if I could find anyone to talk to me and listen to me. But this week, as I said, it's the 20th anniversary. We love to recognize a round number here at The Ringer. Also, there's a remake of KOTOR coming, though we don't know when. We'll get to that. And there's a renewed focus on the Old Republic these days at Disney and Lucasfilm. James Mangold, fresh off of directing Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, will, Indy's bad box office allowing, be time-traveling in another beloved Lucasfilm property with a prequel movie called Dawn of the Jedi that will make KOTOR look like recent Star Wars history. This is going way back. We also have The Acolyte coming, which is a later than KOTOR Old Republic show. So we're going to get into The Old Republic, and there will be opportunities at least for tie-ins potentially to KOTOR. And this is also a pivotal time for Star Wars video games. We have the expiration of the Electronic Arts exclusivity agreement. There might be a whole wave of Star Wars games coming. We have heard of some of them and previewed some of them, but it's an opportunity to take a big swing to strike off in some new directions like KOTOR did 20 years ago. Perhaps future Star Wars games could learn a lesson from that. And we have the approaching release of Baldur's Gate 3, the next big blockbuster, which is an occasion to reminisce about BioWare. Baldur's Gate 3 is not developed by BioWare, but of course the first two games in that series were BioWare classics that sort of set the stage and paved the path for KOTOR. So there are a whole lot of reasons to talk about KOTOR. It's not just that I love KOTOR, although that's definitely part of it. But we want to go over the context for KOTOR, what was going on when it came out, the making of the game, what made it great, what makes it great, how it holds up, what it's like to play it for the first time 20 years later, what we want out of the remake, the original's legacy, and what KOTOR can teach other Star Wars games and licensed mm -hmm. games in general. So, spoiler warning. After 20 years, I think it's probably safe to spoil KOTOR. It's, yes, 100%. If anyone, and if you guys want to fight someone, come find me. Come okay. find me on this. It's been 20 years, two decades. We can spoil right. it. We can All spoil right. it. Send your complaints to Darth Clements. Yes, but go ahead. <laughs> if you're the rare person, perhaps, uh, who's been meaning to play KOTOR for the past 20 years and has somehow avoided spoilers thus far, or maybe you're younger, you're waiting for the remake, okay, that's understandable. But we are going to get into the plot. We are going to get into a notable plot twist. So be warned. Now, here's your capsule summary of KOTOR. Developed by BioWare, as I mentioned, which was then most famous for Baldur's Gate. Directed by Casey Hudson, designed by James Olin, written by Drew Carpishan. This was 
a Bioware and LucasArts joint, really the first Star Wars computer RPG, certainly single player RPG. It was announced way back in July 2000. That's 23 years ago. It entered development that year and was unveiled to the public as KOTOR at E3 in May 2001, and instantly everyone was hyped for this game. It finally came out on July 15th, 2003 on Xbox, and then that November for PC. And unlike a lot of 20-year-old games, it's still pretty accessible. We were both able to play it easily and affordably. So it's uh, playable on PC. There are mods out there if you want to make it prettier, but you can also play it on the latest Xbox platforms, backwards compatible. It's been ported to Mac and iOS and Android and Switch. So if you want to check it out after listening to us, there are ways you can do that without waiting for the remake. And at the time, it won numerous Game of the Year awards, as well as other awards for writing and character design and music and sound design. I would say it's the consensus Star Wars GOAT. It's the greatest Star Wars game of all time, right? I mean, even if it's not your personal favorite or it wasn't before you just recently played it, I think that's kind of the consensus, right? Like if you had to weigh what's the best Star Wars game ever, what do people in general think is the best Star Wars game, it's probably going to be KOTOR even after all these years, right? I can see that. I can see that. It's also, it's, it is, I will say it's one of, and maybe I'm being very dramatic. It is, (laughs) (laughs) sorry to say this, uh, it is the only game it's 20 years old and I went back to playing it and I'm, I'm coming from a very mild Star Wars fan uh, perspective. I love Star Wars. I've seen a, all of it, most of it. And I say most of it because I miss a lot of the Clone Wars, but <laughs> I watched it and I love Star Wars. It's just the breadth of knowledge that Star Wars has. It's so hard for me to retain. And yeah. Kodor <laughs> was so original and yeah. so different that I was like, oh, this is new stuff to grasp onto. And I love that it's 4,000 years or so, whatever, behind <laughs> what the movies are. And, <laughs> and, it, and it still has that little pieces. So it is, story-wise, it is so remarkable. It's such a good game in general. Star Wars, it being definitely the best Star Wars game. But in the world of just normal gaming, I was like, this is perfect. I'm right. obsessed with it. <laughs> All right. This is great. I am old and decrepit. You are youthful and vital. I'm a Star Wars sicko. You have a healthy relationship with the franchise. (laughs) I do. That is probably the best way to explain it. I have the healthiest relationship with Star Wars, you guys. That is the best way to describe it. Uh, Not with Marvel, but with with Star Wars, it's very healthy. Right. So when we did a Jedi Survivor pod on this feed a couple months ago, I said I thought that was the best Star Wars game in 20 years. I was careful to specify that I was not including KOTOR in that 20 years, because even now, whenever you see a ranking of the best Star Wars video games, KOTOR is typically at the top. And it's 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 hailed as not just maybe the best Star Wars game, but one of the best RPGs, one of the best licensed games, one of the best games, <laughs> period. We don't have to qualify it. So as we noted, our experiences with KOTOR and Star Wars games in general are a little bit different. I was revisiting the game and I intended to just play it for a few hours. I, I picked up the Switch port. As I said, I'm such a Star Wars sicko that I ended up replaying the whole thing. And you know what? Some parts of the game are definitely feeling their age, much like me when I realized that this was the 20th anniversary of this game. But but in other ways, this game still got it. Also How long like did it me, take you I to hope. play through? I don't know exactly. I, compared to our recent plays of Tears of the Kingdom and Diablo and Final Fantasy, it was 
I would say a relatively compact, uh, I don't know, maybe in the the 20 to 30 hour range probably, which which feels <laughs> like compared to the the gigantic games we've been playing lately. Yeah, it felt like true. it flew by. But. That's true. It definitely does compared to yeah, Diablo <laughs> and Final <laughs> yes. Fantasy where we have yes. to watch the stories. This you yes. can click through them if you want. But uh, I also kept, which we might get into later, I kept running into like bugs. Yes, <laughs> Running <me too>. into <laughs> invisible walls. Yep. Or, or I get trapped <laughs> between an invisible wall and my companion. And I was like, okay, I need to switch into my companion. I unnatural, like so many times I had to switch into my companion to move out of, just to move out of the way until <laughs> my main game character could go around and i was like at first i was like maybe this is just because it's on my pc maybe it's the times but then someone was else yeah someone else was like no 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 this is normal yeah (laughs) that's that's part of the authentic kotor experience Uh, (laughs) i still uh, loved it Still you know just it. what it was like to play in 2003. Really, KOTOR 2 even more so. But yeah, bugs are are part of the KOTOR experience. Wait, so, even more bugs in KOTOR, Kotor oh, 2? Oh, yes. Oh, no. Okay, keep <laughs> yes, going. But, but big picture, I love this game. Obviously, I have the, the childhood, adolescent attachment to this game. But mm-hmm. it sounds like you are not wondering what all the hype is about. You can see why this game is beloved, even if you didn't play it at the same time or at the same mm-hmm. same stage of life that that I and others did. Yeah, I still it's the story is so good. It's so good. I love it. It's such a good it's such a good story. And I don't know how they did like maybe it is because they chose this one piece from like a comic book. But I'm also like how did they do this? <laughs> it, it's so good. And the reveal made me be like, okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. all right. I love yes. this. So I don't understand how it worked, but it worked really well. It was, it's such a good game. Yes, it did. And that aspect of it still does. So let's take everyone back to 2003. So the opening crawl for The Phantom Menace said turmoil has engulfed the Galactic Republic. And in 2003, turmoil had engulfed the Star Wars fandom. When is turmoil not engulfing fandom, I guess? But that was one of the times. So you had poor receptions for The Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, to put it lightly, right? Attack of the Clones, probably the worst Star Wars movie, at least pre-Rise of Skywalker. We don't need to get into that conversation now, but at the time, at least. And you also had LucasArts just flooding the zone, just pumping out product. So, so Star Wars games at that time. Lots of movie tie-ins, Phantom Menace-themed games. From 2001 to 2003, I think there were 14 Star Wars games, some of which were good and some of which were Racer Revenge or... The Clone Wars or Super Bombad Racing. We wouldn't have called them mid in 2003, but we probably would now. And that would be a generous term, right? And it was a a tough time for young Ben Skywalker, personally. I, I fell for Star Wars hard when I saw the special editions in theaters, so I could not have been more hyped for the prequels. And then the prequels came out. <laughs> and, you know, I watched Phantom Menace many times in theaters and I left the theaters on a high note. Oh, no. Oh, I thought you were going to say I left the theaters early. <laughs> well, oh, no, I would never. But but uh, the Duel of the Fates sent me home happy initially. And then I remembered the rest of the movie and it uh, did not quite meet my expectations. Attack of the Clones, same deal, if not worse. And I spent most of my time then also daydreaming about Star Wars Galaxies, 
which was on the horizon too, the first Star Wars massively multiplayer online RPG. And the initial reception to that game in June of 2003 wasn't that great either. Everyone was mad that they couldn't be a Jedi right away. So there was a lot of Star Wars fatigue and disillusionment setting in at the time. Stop me if that sounds familiar. <laughs> but no, I, I'm learning about this. I played, okay, so I played Jedi Survivor. I yeah. played, I was a big racer person and like, but yeah. I was like, that was like way original racers yeah right that was like 99 maybe yeah yeah Mm -hmm. i was like that was before all these games started coming out that everyone hated so i was like oh okay i'm good and i played lego star wars so i was like my breadth of star wars video games are kind of very surface level but i do hear everyone's not mean opinions but Mm -hmm. not good (laughs) opinions either yeah it was like decades went by with almost new no new on-screen Star Wars, at least. And then after that extremely long wait, you would not necessarily say it was worth the wait in every way, right? So the future Star Wars slash Marvel comic book writer, Kieran Gillen, he wrote a review of KOTOR in 2003 for Eurogamer. And he started out by saying, essentially, I hate Star Wars, right? (laughs) Because he was just over it at the time. He said, Knights of the Republic, however take something that's been merchandised, franchised, and branded to death over the last 25 years and makes it magical again. And he said it it feels more like Star Wars than anything else has, right? It was like more Star Wars than the big budget on-screen Star Wars itself that George Lucas was still making, right? So coming when it did during that time of, of disappointments, KOTOR, I think, especially stood out. It's like, yeah, it makes this, sense. this is the one, right? This is the one that's bringing balance to the Star Wars universe. It's KOTOR. Why can't they build the whole franchise out of KOTOR? So I think that yeah. contributed to part of just how revered it is. So why does it feel like it's more of a Star Wars? It does feel more Star Wars than Star Wars. Yeah. And why, <laughs> why is that? Is it just because of the world? Just that we're visiting all these different places and the mission that is to destroy the... Starforger. Yeah, I I think I, yeah at the time it it took a lot of cues from from the original trilogy, right? Yeah. And there was just a sense at the time, at least, of like this is boundless, and we can get in our ship, and we can explore the galaxy, yeah. and we can go to all these different planets, and it looks like Star Wars, but not exactly like the Star Wars we yeah. know because it's set in this different time period. So it was really fresh and exciting. It was uh, an innovative take on Star Wars by Star Wars standards, at least by people who really loved and cared about the franchise and wanted to yeah. do it justice. Maybe that's it. It does. It, it's so good. I can't, I can't stop stressing that how good it is. It, yeah, I, I'm mad about the bugs in Kodor 3, too. But keep going. <laughs> okay. Keep going. So I'll explain a little bit about the origins of the game, how this came to be. And I'm, I'm drawing partly on a book that Alex Kane wrote in 2019. This game is so legendary. There's a book about it from Boss Fight Books, came out a few years ago, and he talked to a lot of the people involved in making it. And there were a lot of RPG fans at LucasArts at the time, and there'd never been a non-tabletop Star Wars RPG, and they wanted run, right? Because... They had grown up, a lot of people had grown up playing West End's Star Wars, the role-playing game, the Dungeons & Dragons, you know, dice-based tabletop game that came out the first edition in 1987. And there hadn't really been a computer console game version of that. And so LucasArts was looking around wondering who can make a Star Wars RPG for us. 
And there was BioWare because Baldur's Gate had come out in 1998. It really revitalized Western RPGs and PC RPGs in general. The sequel came out in 2000 and then Neverwinter Nights in 2002. So BioWare were sort of the modern masters of the RPG at the time. And they had worked with the Dungeons and Dragons license. And so they were the ones that you went to if you wanted a best-in-class RPG made with your source material. And BioWare was full of Star Wars fans who really were excited to be pitched by LucasArts. Now, here's sort of an interesting what-if before KOTOR, before they decided to take on that project, Bioware was talking to George R.R. R. Martin about a video game version of A Song of Ice and Fire, which would have been, I mean, that might have changed everything, right? If that had happened, if Bioware had made a legendary Game of Thrones style RPG okay. before HBO made Game of Thrones, how would that Change history, I don't know. Right? <laughs> I, I don't know if I don't know, and maybe I'm being a dramatic person again, you guys. Maybe this is the Sith in me. I don't know if it would have worked. I don't know if it would have worked because I think that was the with uh, maybe this is just also me for Kodor. I was like, oh yeah, I know the Star Wars universe somewhat. Like I, I'm gonna go play this game. I know what we're gonna be doing. It's gonna be the Jedi's versus the Sith. Blah, blah, sure. blah, blah. And then it was a lot more than what I expected. And if I I didn't read the books before I probably played this game. If the game would have came out in 2003, I definitely re didn't read any of the Game of Thrones or anything. Thing. So mm -hmm. it's like, I probably would have been just like confused. I would have been like, oh, this is a lot of <laughs> overwhelming stuff. A lot of people, right. a lot of races that I don't understand. I'm not ready for it. So I think the show had to come out first for that game to be successful. Yeah. Uh, but that right. is my opinion. <laughs> I wonder because of course it was seen as sort of unfilmable before it was filmed mm -hmm. successfully. And it also would have been challenging to make as a game, although maybe less challenging in some ways. If you have multiple player perspectives, maybe it would have lent itself to a game better or if it hadn't, if the game had flopped, then that would have tarnished yeah. the IP potentially. Then maybe we wouldn't have gotten Game of Thrones. We wouldn't have gotten binge mode. We might not have the Ringiverse. Oh, yeah, so no. All of history. We can't do that. We can't touch it. We can't, no. we can't go back in time and we couldn't have them do it. No, good, all right. Good idea. We, okay. we can't mess with that because uh, we might not be here talking to you right yes. now. We'd just be blipped out of existence. Okay, so Bioware... Lots of Star Wars fans, as I said, and LucasArts kind of envisioned a Baldur's Gate style take on Star Wars, an isometric perspective, kind of, you know, part top down. They wanted it to be Baldur's Gate in space. That's what everyone was expecting. And initially, LucasArts floated the idea of a prequel setting that would tie into Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith in progress, right? And that was rejected, I think, fortunately and wisely, because it would have imposed a tight timeline. That's one of the problems with movie tie-in games, right? You've got to get them ready for when the movie comes out, even if that means compromising quality. And you would have had to limit the scope. You wouldn't have had as much freedom to determine your own morality. You know, you couldn't have decided Anakin Skywalker actually going to be a good guy. <laughs> Forget yeah. about the whole Darth Vader thing. You know what? Forget it. <laughs> right. All right, we're taking it out. Ugh, that would have been yeah. old. I would have been yeah. mad. There would have been a, a lot of constraints. And there was a LucasArts producer named Mike Gallo in the Kane book. He said it wouldn't have played to the strengths of Bioware. Too much of the story would have been predetermined. It would have been like bowling with bumpers. You can't stray too far, yeah. which arguably has been one of the problems with some recent Star Wars series, right? You know, Obi-Wan, for instance, there oh, you're definitely yeah. you're bowling with bumpers, right? Because there's a trilogy that comes before, there's a trilogy that comes after. You can't stray too far. So if if KOTOR, if Bioware had had to work within those constraints, 
there just would have been a lot less latitude to operate. And I don't know that they could have constructed as memorable a story just working within we have to do what George Lucas says because he's making Revenge of the Sith and we can't just throw mm-hmm. a wrench into the prequel continuity. So, Do you think they could keep doing that, though? I th- I don't know. I, it's like Coder such a good story that I'm like, oh, this one's really good. But if they chose a different story that people didn't really know of and tried to blow that world out, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think a lot of it has to do with how they like interpreted it and did it. But and if they tried doing it again today, it might not work as well. But it's I think that specific story and whoever's like working on that made it work very well. And maybe if they do want to do it again, they could do it again. Um, it has to be <laughs> the exact same people, though. Right. Sure. The yeah. No, it, it's definitely a risk. I mean, rewind thousands yeah. of years to yes. characters we don't know and some planets we don't know and a conflict yeah. we don't know it. That might not have worked. Star Wars fans might not have responded to that if it hadn't been done so carefully and so artfully. Also, at the same time, you had Star Wars Galaxies coming out. That was set during the original trilogy era and came out just a a few weeks before KOTOR ultimately did. So that, again, kind of roped off that portion of the timeline, too. So the solution was to go way back to the time of the Jedi Civil War, the Second Sith War. And this was much more of a blank slate, not completely, because there was a series of comics called Tales of the Jedi that was published by Dark Horse in the 90s from 93 to 98. One of the runs of that series was actually called Knights of the Old Republic. So they definitely took some names and some of the premise and and some of the connective tissue to those comics was uh, pulled from this, but it kind of took place after those comics. But that was important because it kind of cracked open the door. It was like, all right, we, we don't have to go into completely new territory here where we know nothing. We've already had this comic series, so they could sort of pitch that to LucasArts or LucasArts pitched it to them and was confident that, okay, this isn't completely uncharted territory. You can kind of take this framework and, and run with it. So Bioware also decided that if you're going to make a Star Wars RPG, it can't look like Baldur's Gate. It's got to be cinematic. It's got to be 3D. It's got to have full voiceovers, right? And it has to fuse that D&D style dice system, the turn-based combat with Star Wars action, which doesn't look like that, right? So that was one of the big challenges. How do we port our existing strategic turn-based system and meld that with what people are used to with Star Wars, which is much more kinetic and dynamic and free-flowing? And they use the Wizards of the Coast tabletop game from 2000, the Star Wars RPG. They sort of borrowed some of the mechanics from that to figure out how this was going to work. But It was still a big lift, right? Because the original target release date was 2002, which they knew they weren't going to make, even with Crunch, which you read about the hours that people put in on this game. If this were now and these stories were coming out, Bioware would be getting crushed and savaged for the working conditions that led to this game, right? Like you can't argue with the results, but people basically gave over their lives for months at a time to make this happen, even with the delays. And there were 39,000 bugs found. (laughs) Obviously, there were some not found. You found them 20 years later. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Bug reports on the Rigorverse podcast in 2023. They also had to cut a, a planet that was planned and partially developed just to save time and get it out before it was uh, too long delayed. But yeah, to be fair, there is so much in this game. 
There is. Yeah. Little, just, I, I was like, I was like 2003. That's insane. The, the menu and the catalog, uh, cataloging all your stuff, even like just learning everything. There is so much. It's actually, honestly, as someone for a first time or 20 years after the game came out, a little intimidating, uh, going through the tutorial is like, I don't think there's any way I'm going to remember all of the abilities I have, how to level up, how to make sure I'm doing all my things correctly. And also I chose, oh, I, I guess we might get into this later, but I chose like the scoundrel, which actually maxes out at certain points. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was like, oh. So I made a mistake, just like Diablo <laughs> choosing uh, the barbarian. I made another mistake. So yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was like, there's so much to take in. So I'm not surprised there were 39,000 bucks. Found. <laughs> yeah. But. But I, and I wouldn't let that, I, I would let that slide because the game is so, I love it. I'm obsessed. Yeah, so something like 15,000 lines of dialogue, I think that was recorded and, you know, all branching. And if this happens, then that happens. Yes, yes, and this yes, person yes, yes, will yes, say yes, yes, that yes. thing. So it's incredibly complicated oh, to know how to record it, what to record. I am relieved to hear you say you were overwhelmed for once because usually that's me being like, I don't know how to manage the inventory. What, what, <laughs> there's too many items. And now you're, you're bailing me out here. It's like, yeah, I, I played when I was 16, so <laughs> that, that yeah, that is true. It, 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 oh my god, it is it's it's so much. It's so much. Um it was it was just a lot to take in. And it's so weird because yeah, after playing like, but I think with like I, I've been playing games like Diablo for a long time where it's like, yeah, I'm mixing my potions to make different elixirs so I can take it for different reasons. But this I was like oh my God, I have to keep track of all of my companions and make sure they're healed, but also interchange them just so I can move around them. And then also some can do extra things that I can't do. And I was just like trying to, like I started writing down the stuff just to make sure I remembered, like go to my journal, find my quest, go here to make sure I upgrade my stuff right. And then I would forget to upgrade because I was like, the story is so in depth and there's different Mm -hmm. ways you can take it. And I was trying really hard to be a Sith. I was trying really hard (laughs) to be a bad person. So I was like, I kept being like, well, we can't let this person live. We got to kill him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If you set your mind to being bad, it's uh, not hard to do in this game. (laughs) I got it. Well, it isn't hard to do, but then I got a spoiler later that was like, yeah, if you choose the dark side, you're going to kill four of your companions. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) So I tried to switch it because I didn't want to kill any of the companions. The companions is probably my favorite part of this entire game. The, The characters are so good. They're so fun. Yeah, you're more of a PC gamer than I am these days. We're not console warriors. We play on all platforms. We wish them all success. But you are more of a PC person yeah, than 100%. I am. And this was Bioware sort of adapting its its PC games to console and trying to streamline it for console players like me who are used to our our limited number of inputs and buttons and no mouse and keyboard, right? So you can tell at times that they had a hard time cramming everything into a console game, right? Because it's clearly got the bones of a PC game. You can tell that that's the lineage of the studio. It was probably much easier also controlling it. And now I think about it on a controller doing the camera than a Mm -hmm. mouse and keyboard (laughs) i was gonna throw my mouse out the window it was the worst thing i've ever had to do in my life i was getting so irritated i was like why is it why is it so sticky i was like it's moving the camera so quickly and then i I got adjusted first time players of this game after 20 years you will get very mad for maybe 15 to 20 minutes and then you'll get adjusted to how fast you're moving your mouse if you're playing on a keyboard and mouse okay all right let's talk about why it works why it does not make you mad for the most part. And part of it's what we're talking about, the setting, 
feels fresh, but also feels familiar. And that was intentional. They knew, okay, we're going back in time 4,000 years here. We don't want Star Wars fans to feel unmoored, like they don't know where they are, like it doesn't feel like Star Wars. So they embraced the used universe aesthetic that George Lucas helped sort of set the tone for the franchise, that it would be this futuristic, you know, incredible technology, but also worn, right, and scuffed and sort of broken down. And Lucas's idea and and Ralph McQuarrie, the artist who so inspired Star Wars, their idea of sort of this timeless, mythic fairy tale in space where you can't place it exactly when it's taking place. It's a long time ago, but we're not going to specify, although this game does specify how much longer ago it was. That was actually LucasArts' idea. BioWare just wanted to be like a thousand generations earlier. And LucasArts was like, you got to say it's 4,000 years. Okay. It is sort of strange. If you want to nitpick, you could say that it's odd that so little has changed in 4,000 years or that so little changed subsequently when it comes to technology, right? I mean, basically the gear and the ships and the capabilities of all of these empires essentially unchanged, right? Like people fire the same sort of blasters and they use the same sort of lightsabers and they fly the same sorts of ships. And it's 4,000 years. You know, you go to Tatooine, you go to Anchorhead, it looks essentially the same. It's like, all right, maybe Anchorhead is a backwater and Tatooine's not changing with the times, (laughs) but it doesn't seem like the Star Wars galaxy, despite all the upheaval there, Mm -hmm. it hasn't changed a whole lot, which is Good in the sense that we recognize this as Star Wars, but if you want to be a stickler for continuity and and why haven't things advanced and evolved, I guess you could question that. But it doesn't sound like that bothered you as a first time player. No, and I didn't really think about it too much. I knew that it was, um, and this might be coming from a mild, uh, the mild Star Wars fan experience where I was like, um, I was like, okay. <laughs> and I yeah, just took sure. that information and <laughs> right. was like, I noticed that some of these characters look like other characters that we've seen in mm-hmm. the franchise. And but I was I just kept telling myself, if this is four thousand years ago, they're just not even descendants. It's just that their um their kind <laughs> has been around this long. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's, so it's, it's the force. Like, it's a coincidence yeah. that uh, some of the names are the same and all the alien species do the same thing that yeah. they were doing later. I was right? like, oh, yeah. they've just been here for a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> But, sure. And since yeah. it's all like new planets for me or new places, I was like, oh, okay, maybe it's not going to be there in 4,000 years. <laughs> right. Yeah. What do you think of the fact that Star Wars is essentially locked into its look from almost 50 years ago in our galaxy? You know, Star Wars looked a certain way in 1977. It still sort of looks that way in the yeah. 2020s, no matter where in the timeline it yeah, takes place. It's, it's quite a contrast with, say, Star Trek, right? I, I'm a Trekker too. I absolutely love Strange New Worlds, which I believe we will be covering on the Ringiverse at some point. We have heard your requests. It's a direct prequel to the original series of Star Trek, but the design doesn't look like it did on NBC in 1966 when Star Trek first started airing, right? It's modernized. It's different. The Abrams movies have their own look and different technology and and different bridge and everything, for better or worse, right? And maybe that's because the 60s TV show looks dated, right? And they were working with, you know, certain restrictions and you wouldn't want to be bound by that forever. Whereas, I guess it's a testament to the special effects of 70 Star Wars. It still looks pretty darn good, right? So you don't have to change. But 
it does kind of make me raise my eyebrow every now and then when you have you know, hyperspace and all these uh, incredibly wondrous technologies. And then you have the display screens that look like it's, you know, wireframe from the 1970s. <laughs> You're like, right? okay. And that's what it's going to be uh, forever, right? <laughs> it's interesting. That is interesting because I never really noticed that. But star, I do notice it in Star Trek. But I think I always put it by the wayside for Star Trek because I'm like, oh, it's different people working on it every time. And mm-hmm. it is still different people with Lucasfilms, but it's still Lucasfilms. So yeah. it's like it still has to have that heart and that look that it has at Disneyland and everywhere else for merchandise. <laughs> right. Um, so I'm like, I'm wondering if it's just that it's just easier, less yeah. money. Or yeah. if it's like so I know like with some machines, like some droids, it's like, yeah, they were cheaply built. So it's like they're <laughs> right. going to look like they did in the first movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, yeah, there's that. Maybe. There's like uh, kit bashing was one of the the concepts. It's like, you know, you just use uh different parts of models and and mm-hmm. glue them together, right? And and I guess it, it saves you some cash. And also, you probably have props lying around from every yes. previous Star Wars production. You have sort of like design schematics and show Bibles and everything. And to completely revamp that would be a big lift. And yep. it's distinctive, right? It's Star Wars. Like you can tell yeah. almost instantly that it's Star Wars. And there's something nice about that. There's something nice about the almost like steampunky melding of futuristic and old school. And I think it works really well in a show like Andor, for instance, where you have these sort of like claustrophobic, almost like severance style screens and technology, right? And I think it kind of adds to the atmosphere. But I am curious. I mean, if the Mangold movie, which is set 25,000 years or whatever before the original trilogy, that seems like an opportunity to potentially tinker with some of this or maybe even the acolyte. It's like, hey, we're centuries or millennia earlier here. Maybe we can tweak the formula a little. They should definitely do it with the technology, but I feel like they're doing it with the like buildings (laughs) and uh the structure of what it looks like. I'm like, okay, this is clearly like uh, uh, the uh, freaking like Blade Runner right, I'm on like right. a Blade Runner planet, but they're still using the normal blasters. I'm like, what's <laughs> yeah. going on? So yeah. they definitely should upgrade the guns and all the those things, but <laughs> they keep going for just like the vibe. They're like, yeah. Mm, no. Yeah, and I'm fine with vibes over does vibes? this make logical, scientific sense? Like, it's Star Wars, mm. so <laughs> it's best, best to take it in stride yeah. as you did and not even notice this. I'm in too deep to be obsessing over no, this stuff. we need so. people like you to notice these things because they go over my head, just like this reveal. <laughs> Thank you. That's very kind. Well, because of the ancient setting of this game, Bioware consciously used archetypes to anchor the audience, these familiar Star Wars tropes, the Jedi, the Sith, the smugglers, the droids, the rogues, the Wookiees, the Twi'leks, the Tatooine, mm-hmm. of course, Tatooine's here, right? It's Tatooine's gotta be always in, in everything. But there are also some <clears throat> original planets and settings and characters, obviously. And there's a, a pretty explicit original trilogy influence, right? You have your battle between good and evil that is uh, spanning the galaxy. It's you against Darth Malak and his apprentice Sith versus Jedi. You've got Republic versus Empire. You've yeah. got your your plucky crew of a smuggling ship named after a bird, right? <laughs> Instead of the Millennium Falcon, you've got your Ebon Hawk. You've got <laughs> a big twist about the protagonist's relationship to the big bad, which uh, in both cases turns out to be quite an intimate relationship. You have a disfigured Darth, right? You have a, a, a Sith Lord who's who's missing some parts of the anatomy. You have a super weapon. 
you have uh, a climax featuring on foot action and simultaneous space battle, right? Much like Return of the Jedi. Everything down to the opening crawl and and the box art really evokes movie posters. Like it's all consciously a, a callback to, okay, this is Star Wars. Let's situate everyone within the Star Wars setting. Yet it's in the past. And that alone, I think, makes it feel less derivative to me than parts of the sequel trilogy, let's say, where you do have some of the same characters and you're kind of running it back and thematically there are some interesting takeaways from that, but also it's like only a few decades have gone by and, and we're doing all this again, huh? With some of the same people, <laughs> whereas this is 4,000 years earlier, you know, not even Yoda is on the scene, right? He's yeah. millennia away from being there, although there is someone from Yoda's species, a Jedi mm-hmm. Master, obviously, but but it's different enough that all the links, mm-hmm. I think, are rewarding without feeling like it's yeah. just a, a copycat exercise. Yeah, I think it was a good test to see if they could do it without using any of Star Wars. Uh, Does that make sense? Like, I think it was a test being like, oh, we're going to sprinkle in a little things that look familiar, but it's not Mm -hmm. at all what Star Wars is. This is a different thing. It's like, this is Star Wars, but it's a different thing. It's an original concept idea. So I think they were like testing it, which is weird to like test something like that when you're having all your games kind of bad, but it (laughs) worked. So maybe it was just one of the things that they were like, let's see if it sticks. And it stuck. Yeah. Embedded into the wall. Hard, yeah. yeah. I mean, I it's a big swing, but when everything else is tethered to this tiny portion of the timeline, I mean, there's a, yeah. a big sweeping tapestry here, and we're just clinging to the prequel era and the original trilogy era at this point, and then later the sequel trilogy, which has mostly been avoided. And it's like, no, what if we just did something completely different and made it yeah. our own? And there's a lot of cool lore in this game. Like, even though in the broad strokes, yeah, it's Jedi versus Sith and it's a Republic versus an Empire, right? It's sort of running it back some of the same beats, but there's a lot of stuff in there that's just sort of buried. It's it's optional. You don't even have to encounter it. It kind of relies on you digging deep into the dialogue menus and talking to NPCs. Yes. You know, if you go to Tatooine and, and you talk to the Tuscans, a lot of it sort of prefigures, you know, some of the Book of Boba Fett stuff where it's like the Tuscans are misunderstood and they have this mm-hmm. whole rich history and culture. And there's this whole origin story of the Tuscans and of Tatooine used to be this uh, fertile, rich, uh, verdant world. And then there was a disaster. And, and some of that is alluded to in the Book of Boba Fett, right? And, yeah. and then there's the Rakatan Empire, this new race, uh, the Rakata. And they're kind of like, I, it's almost a preview of, of Mass Effect and, and the Protheans and the Reapers, you know, the, the mm-hmm. Rakatan builders and the Starforge. It's this ancient empire that everyone has forgotten and, you know, was sort of the first empire that colonized the galaxy and then got high on its own supply. And there was a plague <laughs> and uh, the downfall of the empire. It's not necessarily a new sci-fi trope, but it's sort of fresh for Star Wars, which typically doesn't delve that deeply or in that much detail into the early origins of the universe and how did this all get settled and where did Mm -hmm. everyone come from? And this game just leaves some really interesting breadcrumbs that allows you to trace that back or or things like, you know, your Wookiee characters, Albar, and the idea of of the mad claws, you know, in Wookiee culture, if you use your claws in anger and violence, then you're exiled because you, you let your animal instincts take over or... 
Zerka Corporation, this sort of galaxy spanning, this, you know, arms dealer, this company that uh, takes over the slave trade and all of these other things Mm -hmm. that it's kind of like this uh, capitalism critique almost that you don't typically find in Star Wars, at least pre Andor. Like there's a lot going on here that's not necessarily on the surface, but yeah. it's in the side quests. It's if you talk to everyone, if you explore the nooks and crannies, like there's just a lot of care and thought and effort <laughs> that went into yeah. setting the scene. It, it absolutely 100%. And it's so hard. I, I'm a person, a firm believer. And I think I said this on the other podcast where I'm like, you want, I want games to make sure you get your money's worth because no matter when the game came out, it's, uh, it's, it's extra income that you're like, oh, I don't have time or money for this. And it's like, if you're playing it, I want you to milk it for what it's worth. And this game does that so much so that you have to play again to get to those people and learn and get that backstory. I think when I played it this one time, I did not get to talk to as many uh, NPCs as I should have. And most of the ones I did talk to, um, they just wanted to fight me. So I just kind of <laughs> didn't really get to like learn a lot about the planet because I know that there's some characters that were like, I'm just going to talk to you about the history of so-and-so. And I was like, oh, I wish I would have saw that. I didn't get to go to that. But this game, you're getting your money's worth because you get to play again, play as a different character completely and go talk to the people because that's where you're going to explore the world more and get the history to it. I didn't get that much this round and I, I well, regret if, it completely. If you're trying to rack up dark side points by slaughtering everyone, they're not always as willing to talk to you about their history. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> right? Look, oh, if, uh, if you go out. full Anakin and uh, wipe out the Tuscans like animals, then you will not get to learn about Look their here. rich culture and history. <laughs> Look here. I was willing to slaughter before I became very close to my companions. And then when I la- learned that I had to kill my companions, I changed everything about myself. So I'm willing to go uh, on the good part, the good side, but it takes a lot of convincing. It takes people I have to hang out with for a very long period of time to save <laughs> yeah. me. Yeah. So there's a lot of lore dumps, but it's optional. If you're not that into it, you can sort of skip it and bypass it. And it's not buried in like audio logs or like text that you have to read in some menu. It's all delivered via voiceover. So it goes down a little easier. So I just appreciate that that's there for those of us who want it. And we should talk a little bit about the combat system too. And again, we have to put ourselves 20 years ago, those ancient times when I was but a teenager. And at the time, I think the combat system mostly successfully did its job, which was melding the turn-based tactical strategy and the dynamic action of Star Wars. Like just kind of the cosmetic effect of having synchronized saber clashes. Like even if under the hood, it's all dice rolls and it's all probability, they made it at least most of the time kind of looked like people were actually fighting, right? So it's maybe kind of play acting. I will say there are times it's sort of strange where you just miss when, yeah, you know, you you're, just you're, yeah, you're just like, you know, you're a Jedi Knight master. You're swinging your saber at like yep. a door or like a stationary point blank target. And you just miss because that's what the dice roll dictated. But you're like, how did I miss? Like, am, yeah. I, not, am I not a Jedi? <laughs> am I not using the force? Is the force not flowing through me? How did I miss a door right now? That, but yeah, that would only <laughs> and I kept maybe being like, this is a game that's 20 years ago. But I think. It's also the probability dice where I'm like, I'm so high up in a level. I do like a roundhouse kick and completely miss. 
And yeah. I go, yeah. wait a minute. <laughs> right. Wait a second. So there's, but you can, um, it had the ability, I didn't look at it, to see how the dice were predicting, right? Doesn't the game offer that? Or not see how it's predicting, but like you can see like what you rolled or something. Sort of. You can kind of get a glimpse of what's going on beneath the surface, but it's all playing out in real time. And like you can sort of almost set it and forget it. Like you can just punch in some commands and then sit back and check your phone and, and they'll just play the rest of the fight or you can just watch it play out. Right. So there's kind of like the level of intervention that you want. You can just let them swing away and do the default thing or you can be more tactical about it if you want. When we talk about the remake, we can say whether we might want some upgrades or, or some oh, modernization okay. maybe okay. to the combat. But at the time, uh, it worked well. And there's yeah. some Deus Ex-esque kind of capacity if you didn't care for the combat, if you wanted to find a way around, if you wanted to use persuasion or hacking or slicing or something instead, you can do that. Now, sometimes it's just hacking a computer to blow up and kill everyone that way. <laughs> it's just it's usually killing everyone, but maybe more indirectly than directly. But you have some options, at least, how you want to progress through the levels. And I think the highlight, as you said, I mean, it's the story, but it's also the characters, right? They're just really rich and varied. And you just grow to love all of them or at least care about all of them over the course of the 30 hours or however many hours you spend with them. If you take the time to talk to them, you know, they're just sort of standing around inside the Ebon Hawk and you can get into their backstories as much as you want. But they're all just really well-drawn and distinctive. And even after all this time, I remember them and what they looked like and their names and their stories to a degree that I don't with most games. I feel that. Who can I ask who your favorite one was? I mean, I feel like Bastila is kind of like it, well, the, the heart and soul of the game to some extent. That one, right? like, yeah, that one to the side. You can't say Bastila. Okay. Okay. <laughs> she's a different one because it's like, <laughs> right. yeah, 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 it's her. But yeah. who else? Who else? <laughs> I think Jolie is my man. Jolie yeah. Bindo. That's who yep. he's. The Grey Jedi, right? He was never officially a Jedi. Yes. He was a Padawan. Then he yes. left the Order and did his own thing. And yes. I've always been drawn to that, whether it was with yes. Ahsoka or some other character. Get away from the Jedi, Sith, binary, the dark light. Joey's just like, you know what? Do what you have to do, right? <laughs> like, if you did some dark side stuff, I understand. And now you're light side again. Okay, you know, whatever works, right? <laughs> I don't know if this is maybe the lore that got me really into Star Wars, but it was that situation of like, I think there's a way that you can control whether you're on the dark side or the good side. Or the I was like, I think there is a way to control it. I don't think I could do it because I'm not in charge of my emotions. My emotions are crazy <laughs> and wild. I can't control that. But uh, him explaining Explaining that and being like, it's really like controlling your passion. And like, that's what it is. It's not love. Don't get it confused. And I love all of his deep meanings so much in the game. And I was just like, this person has been controlling it his entire life. He doesn't, it, he's like, yeah, there's a gray area. It's not all black and white. There's a, there's a spot in between which you can't harness. I'm able to harness it. And now I live alone in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know if it's working out that well for yeah. him, but. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. So yes, he has no one, 
But, <laughs> but I appreciate that the Jolie doesn't judge me, at least. Yes. And, and look, Basla's great. Obviously, there's the light side, dark side struggle going on within her. There's almost a, a Raylo-like love interest between Basla and your protagonist, right? I don't know how much you pursued the romantic options here. <laughs> I don't know how heavily it's in there when you're a female character because they were trying to get me to be with Karth. Yes, right. And I mm-hmm. was like, no. Yeah, no, I'm not, not as interested <laughs> I was in Karth. Like, no. Also, yeah. Karth, I'm sorry. I don't mind Karth at all, but he's kind of annoying in my yeah, opinion. Sure. Especially yeah, at the I, beginning. I was like, no, I didn't remember. I don't I didn't forget that you were kind of an asshole to me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I feel so. that definitely. And it's a lot less uh, full-fledged than say Mass Effect got later on oh with the, the romance God. options. I don't it's even not want to talk about it. Not quite as as horny a sci-fi space epic and space opera as uh, later. Bioware games, but but Basil is great because you know voiced by Jennifer Hale, who's future Femme Shep, of course, Commander Shepard from Mass Effect games, but just incredibly prolific voice actor in so so many video games, and just brings kind of a gravitas to that role that you're instantly drawn to. And of course, there's the legend HK47, which this game, I, in a way, it it kind of takes off for me when HK enters, right? Just because to have this evil C-3PO, right? The the inversion of the protocol droid cr- created by Revan as 3PO is created by Anakin and originally was not written to be as funny as he is, right? That was something that the voice actor brought to it. And initially everyone was like, this isn't what we wanted, right? LucasArts didn't like it. No one liked it. And then they all realized, oh, this is incredible. This comic relief of this assassin droid who thinks everyone's a meatbag and prefaces every statement with like what part of speech it's going to be. HK is just an absolute legend. So that brings something to the game that I think otherwise would have been lacking. Like there's a lot of humor. There's a lot of comedy. It's much like Star Wars, right? There's yeah. somber and serious and there's romance and there's humor. But yeah. a lot of the comedy is coming from HK forty seven. It's HK, and then I would say it's uh, what's her name, the Twilight um, Mission Bow. Yeah, Mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's Mission when she because she, she does a lot of funny things, <laughs> and I, I love how mean she is. Or she's not mean; she's just sassy. She's sassy, and she deserves to be, and I love her for it. Yeah, she's so tired of being underestimated. Yeah. So, and some of these characters like Karth and Basil and Zalbar and Mission. They came from the designer James Olin's childhood Star Wars, the RPG campaigns. You know, he was Mm. like being the dungeon master, creating these names and these backstories. And then they were just still in his head years later and they got into this game. So you could tell that they're crafted with care. This episode is brought to you by Duncan. Duncan just dropped a new kind of energy and they call it sparked energy. Are you a spontaneous spirit who likes bringing a high-octane feel to the group chat? Grab a berry burst sparked energy. Love bringing that upbeat comedy vibe wherever you go? Turn the fun up to 11 with their peach sunshine flavor. Whatever your energy, Duncan's here to match it with a revitalizing burst of caffeine and full-on fruit flavors. Even better, a medium sparked energy is $3 now through March 19th. Drop by and get sparked by Duncan. Sparked energy drinks are fruit flavored, contain 0% fruit juice. Beverages contain caffeine from caffeine and guarana. Participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. 
you might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong. But these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's talk about the twist. The Jedi do not believe in killing their prisoners. No one deserves execution, no matter what their crimes. The Council would not normally accept an adult for training, but this is a special case. They say the Force can do terrible things to a mind. It can wipe away your memories and destroy your very identity. The lure of the dark side is difficult to resist. I fear this quest to find the Starforge could lead you down an all-too-familiar path. What greater weapon is there than to turn an enemy to your cause, to use their own knowledge against them? So that was part of the montage you hear when the twist comes up and you're thinking, oh, shit, <laughs> I am Darth me. Revan. It's it was me. me. <laughs> I'm the problem. It's me. If Ugh. you remember one thing about KOTOR it is probably the twist, right? This is so part of good. what makes this game so indelible. And I think it was more easily anticipated maybe than the Vader reveal they weren't dropping a ton of hints initially because they didn't know that the Vader reveal was was coming from the start. But you had kind of this lineage of late 90s, early 2000s memory loss, like amnesiac protagonists, you know, Fight Club and Memento and the Born Identity. And then you have this twist, which was inspired by Fight Club and by The Sixth Sense, where <laughs> they are trying to drop some hints. You know, Olin said, if the twist is fair, like if you've dropped enough clues that when it happens, it doesn't feel forced, then 10% of players or viewers should see it coming, right? Like there should be some subset of the audience that says, yeah, I saw this coming. Because if no one saw it coming, then it would feel like just shoehorned in. Like what? You didn't lay any groundwork here. And suddenly you're telling me I'm the bad guy. <laughs> like, we're the baddies, right? But I think most people did not see the Darth Revan reveal coming. And it was a shock. It was the video game equivalent of the Vader reveal. I was telling you this before we started recording where I was like, I was getting irritated because I was like, I woke up. I put, put put yourself in the in the character's shoes. I woke up at a war. I don't know what's happening. I'm also, yeah, getting a lot of weird uh, privileges, advantages. People are constantly like, I see something in you. There's something about you that's <laughs> right, different. Right, and right. I'm like, yeah, I was asleep and then I woke up. And then when it was like revealed, <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. And I was like, and I was thinking, and I, I do this a lot. I'm sure a lot of people playing the game also did it. We're not thinking outside the box. We're thinking inside the box. So when we're like, yeah, we're like a uh, fight club, like the sixth sense, you're just not really awake for any of it. You're like, yeah, it's just how it happens. And then 
at the end, you're like, oh, that's why. I thought the guy was dead the entire time. Everyone led it to believe that this guy was dead the entire time and that the other guy, the apprentice, was actually the big bad. But it's like, nope, you've just been wandering around <laughs> forgetting who you were. And yep. I should have seen it. I feel like I should have seen it. I should have kept an eye on everyone's dialogue, but I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. replaying and it now, I was thinking, how did I not see this, right? <laughs> but but at the time, I didn't see it, right? I didn't. And I don't think most people saw it. Damn, it's and so good. It's yeah, such a good reveal. Good for them. It really them. is. Good and I think it, it sort of subverted your expectations. Like at the time, the the unspeaking avatar protagonist was pretty common. And you just, they don't have a personality and you don't learn a lot about them and their backstory doesn't matter that much. Obviously, Revan or whatever you name yourself, you know, you're selecting dialogue and everything, but you're sort of used to a video game protagonist who's just sort of a blank slate before the game begins. And here they kind of twisted that expectation. It said, no, actually, you were the Sith Lord before the game began. <laughs> so I I think it falls into there are a few kind of common twist types in video games. Like you've got your shocking death twists, right? I, I'm not going to say who died. I don't want to spoil anything explicitly here, but you know, you got your Final Fantasy VII and your The Last of Us games and your Red Dead Redemption games and and The Walking Dead by Telltale. Like you have some shocking deaths and then you have some reveals about the setting or the premise like, oh, this is not what I thought was going on. You know, Portal or Metal Gear Solid 2 or, or Metroid. Oh, Samus is a woman. Didn't realize that, right? Or you have your unreliable narrators when you're seeing something that is not actually happening, like Dead Space or Spec Ops The Line or Call of Duty Black Ops or Silent Hill 2 or Braid. Then sometimes, and I think this is this category, something the protagonist doesn't know either. You don't know either. You're finding out along with the protagonist, like Final Fantasy X or Shadow of the Colossus or Bioshock or Bioshock Infinite or KOTOR. It's like, oh, okay. It's one thing, you know, if you've been playing as this person you feel attached to, you you identify with this character, they're an extension of you. And so if they've been hiding something from you all along, that's jarring in one way. But if they didn't know either and this epiphany is dawning on them as it's dawning on you, then you feel that in a very visceral way. You're like, I know what this character is going through because I'm going through that same thing. This character is an extension of me. So yeah. it's just a really effective twist. Well, we, we were starting to list off all the other games and I was like, yeah, the last, uh, not, I, I'm not going to talk too in depth about these because yeah. you, you guys haven't played <laughs> yeah. it, go watch it. But yeah. I think it's because this one's so cinematic that I was like, it hits harder to me than the other ones did because it's so beautiful. And because I'm more interested in the storyline and the characters more than I am in like the fighting parts that I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't expecting this and I love this more than anything. And I don't yeah. know. It's like, it's like um the first season of what's that? Uh the the good place. Mm-hmm. Where I'm yes, like, oh, right. I don't know what they're and I haven't played Coder 2. So I'm genuinely like, I don't know what they're gonna do in Coder 2. <laughs> like, I don't know how they're gonna make lift this. I don't know how you can go higher than this. It's so good. That's the really memorable part of this game. But, you know, there's uh, the customization, there's the morality, like there was some squabbling between Bioware and LucasArts over lightsaber colors, how many 
colors you were allowed, LucasArts was like, no, you just get your basic blue, green, red. And BioWare wanted to explore the space, right? Wanted to give you more options. And ultimately you did. And that can be really cool. If you are a purple lightsaber, you can wield a blue and a red at the same time, right? It makes you feel like you're kind of charting your own course through this game. And the light side and dark side outcomes and playthroughs are pretty different, right? It's not just a different cutscene at the end, but it's different relationships with characters and NPCs and different quest lines and resolutions, right? And my first time doing this, I just went full good guy paragon, just trying to be a Jedi who would, you then know, you are make... a good guy. Thank you. I'm trying to <laughs> trying to balance out Darth Clemens here. But but that was my initial instinct. This time I didn't go full dark side, but I did more of a, a Jolie Bindo, kind of a, a gray Jedi playthrough. You know, I just took it yeah. case by case. I feel like doing the dark side thing here. I feel like doing the light side thing there. So I ended up yeah. sort of in the middle. And right up until the end, you're making real difficult choices. Yeah. It's not just sort of adding up the points that you got or lost to that point and locking you in. Mm-hmm. Like you can decide on your destiny to some extent right 100%. up until the end. That's the, I also think I was, yes, trying to go at it on the dark side. I was trying to put myself in there without them putting me, but there are a lot of parts where you're like, how would I answer this truly? And unfortunately mine was still evil where I was like, I am, I'm going to have my guard up at every moment. I don't know what is happening. I woke up from this slumber and now I'm just forced to like fight with alongside people. And also I genuinely, if someone was like, you saved my life, now I'm going to be one of your friends and follow you. I'd be like, no, go away. (laughs) Leave me alone. Stay at arm's length. Clearly I'm a curse. But It's like Luke said, is the dark side stronger? No, no, no. Quicker, easier, more seductive. Easier, easier, easy to do. Love it. Arguably is actually also stronger in this game, but that's beside the point. So let's, let's <laughs> arguably talk. stronger in this game. That is true. That let's, is true. Let's talk briefly just about how it's aged. We've touched on that yeah. already, but you're coming to it with fresh eyes, right? So look, the graphics look like they're from three console generations ago 100%. because they are. There's no getting around that, right? It's a pre-HD era. You look at the skyboxes and you get up close to the surfaces and those textures. You go, ooh, that looks like 2003. Or some of the animations or the faces Mm -hmm. or just the compression and the pixelation in the video in the cutscenes. It's funny how in your mind's eye, old games look great forever until you replay them. Until right? you like, replay them, man. I, I don't think KOTOR looked incredible at the time, but it looked good by the standards of the day. And when I booted it up for the first time in 20 years, woof, right? It's like when I go back to visit my old grammar school sometimes and everything looks small, you know, like You're the like, classrooms oh. and the stairwells are like, they're small. Actually, I was small then, but now I'm bigger and they seem smaller. But you get used to it as you play. You know, it's like you get in a unheated pool and at first you feel like you're freezing your ass off, but you give it a few minutes yeah. and you acclimate to it. So by the end of KOTOR, I was not noticing that it looks like a game from 2003 anymore, but mm. it definitely looks like a game from 2003. It is definitely a game from 2003. Uh, <laughs> yes. I can, yeah, but it definitely is. Um, it plays also kind of like a game from 2003. Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> it, yeah, it, 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 it's, yeah. I don't want, and I, when I'm, I'm ending it there because I like, I don't want it to deter people from playing it. Like it is even after twenty years replaying it, go do it. You'll still yes. love it. It's still really great. But it is like, yeah, there's, 
bugs <laughs> and it looks <laughs> kind of weird. And mm-hmm. uh, sometimes I had to change a lot of things on my PC in order to like see it. So yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's still worth playing. Yes, absolutely. And and the pacing, like I think the intro area, the planet terrace, it, it's a little slow. It's a it's kind of a an extended tutorial, but you might not get past the tutorial <laughs> if it if you aren't uh, aware of what's coming. As you said, the camera, like you can't move it up and down, which is weird. I mean, I know there's a, a first person toggle, but there's that. Like you can't respec your characters, you know? So as you were saying, you get locked into a class and attributes and skill points and everything, and and you can't kind of undo it down the road, right? And the autosave system is is pretty stingy. Like, again, product of its times, I don't know how we used to live like that. It's like when the game would occasionally crash or something, I would lose a lot of progress because autosaves were not happening that regularly. I'm used to them happening pretty constantly these days, and I don't mind that. Like, there are some games where obviously it's like part of the challenge, but sometimes it's just tedious. It's like, I just played this. Why am I playing this again? Why didn't we save on that last loading screen? On the plus side, this game allows you to click through a lot of the things if you are just redoing it from a long time or from like you missed a lot. You're allowed to skip a lot of dialogue. The the choose your own adventure part, phenomenal because it also, it just like gives you, it always gives you three options. It's like, it's, it's clearly what you need to ask, but then it also gives you like, well, if you want them to repeat it, you can have them repeat it, or you can ask them more about the subject, or you can go to the next part. <laughs> right, yeah. There, there's a lot of repetition in the dialogue and the menus, yeah. right? And I like not, it. Yeah, I mean, not all of the writing is as great as I remember. There's, It's kind of awkward. You know, every NPC is, like, immediately eager to tell you their life yeah. story and everything. I, and that's classic old-school RPG way. Yeah, I was like, it's clearly an older game. It's clearly an older RPG game because they, like, the way they even, even, like, we're under attack, but I'm going to give you a full, like, five-minute time. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, damn, they're really shoehorning this in. I get yes. it. I got it. Now let's yes. actually play, like, the ship's under attack. <laughs> yeah, and, and you can save manually, to be clear. I was uh, almost yeah, doing, oh, like, Yeah, I a, did it manually, yeah. Yeah, once I lost a lot of progress, I was, like, save scumming almost. I was like, save, all right, save again. Oh, Don't I save yeah. yeah. I saved and, every time. Yeah. And like the movement speed is sort of slow and there's a lot of backtracking and the inventor inventory, like the UI, it's kind of clunky. It's tough to find items sometimes. Uh, again, like these are things that we might complain about still with modern games, but it's noticeable. The combat compared to Mass Effect and Dragon Age or Final Fantasy 16, for that matter, that we were talking about last time, it's a little slower. It's a little stilted. The morality system, somewhat simplistic compared to similar systems that came later, but it isn't dated to the extent that I would have any reservations about saying you should not play this or you could not play this and still get the wonder that I got from it in 2003. And I think it's refreshing. It doesn't always tell you where to go or what to do in the way that Final Fantasy 16 does or a lot of games where it's like press a button and it'll point to where you got to go, right? Like Mm -hmm. this game makes you think, makes you work for it a little. and. The characters and the story arc just still strong, and they were always the draw, and they still are. 100%. Coming as someone that has not played the game, first-timer, I think everyone would genuinely like it. I have a very short attention span. Um, (laughs) I live off of things that are quicker in my life, but it was still like... I, I just really liked it. And I, this is, again, coming from someone that has not played the game, somehow didn't get the spoiler in over 20 yeah. years. <laughs> wow, all right. When I found out the spoiler, I genuinely was like, 
how did I not? Hear? I don't know what time, but it's because my friends weren't playing the game. Like my brother played it at his friend's house, so it was just like I didn't really know the game. My friends don't play that many Star Wars games. I never got the reveal. That reveal is perfect. I'm such a mild Star Wars fan, and I loved the story. The characters were so good. This was really good. It's so fun, and it's only like four dollars on Steam right now. <laughs> right. So yes. go play it. And last time we talked about when remakes are justified and how soon is too soon for a remake. I think this one, it's time yes. for a remake. Yeah, one of the, please, go <laughs> uh, ahead. On the one hand, it, it's not like you can't get KOTOR today. It's accessible, it's affordable, but we're talking about a 3D game from the pre-HD era, right? There were some growing pains at the time. At, things have advanced mm -hmm. since then. So 100%. when you're talking about oh. a three console generation leap, yeah, I'm in for a ground up remake. And one was oh. announced in 2021 yes. for PS5 and PC intended for release in 2022. And I guess in KOTOR tradition, that didn't it's happen. Take a, <laughs> it's going to another delayed. year. Yeah, so it was supposed to be bucks. developed by Aspire, which has ported many Star Wars games, including KOTOR 1 and 2. But it's a ground up remake. It's more ambitious than a port. Some of the ports were buggy, too. And last year, things weren't going great. Development was halted and transferred to a new studio, Saber Interactive. So the parent company of the studios, Embracer Group, says the remake is still happening. We don't know when, but it's still in the works, supposedly. So when and if it happens, what would you want? Would you want just a new coat of paint? It looks good now, but everything else stays the same, true to the original or... Would you want some modernization, some quality of life improvements to kind of bring it into line with the expectations of a player in 2023? I wanted to do what kind of Final Fantasy did with Final Fantasy VII, where, yeah, new coat of paint added a little. It's also 2023. So, like, make it a little more challenging. Um, make it a little more challenging. I like the not handholdy stuff that they're already doing. Literally, let me go around the world, figure out my stuff. But I would like for the battles to be a little bit more harder to do. Um, and just that. But I would also I'm like, if you just slapped on that new, new, <laughs> that new paint, yeah. I would still play this game. Like, yes. and it would look so good. It would look I, I don't care. Like, I would still play it if you did the exact same story, same battles, same way. And just a new coat of paint. I'd still play it. I don't. Yeah. Give me prettier graphics, just a little facelift here, fewer loading screens, you know, maybe yeah. streamline the UI and the inventory and the save system oh, and yeah. all of that, well, yes, right? Yes, 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 <laughs> but, yes, yes, but yes, yes, yes. Maybe you could add a little nuance to the morality system or you could offer more character customization options. Oh, uh, they will. They will. Yeah, oh, my I, God. I, I guess, you know, you could spruce up the combat, maybe make it more free flowing or you could even add some content. I don't know. Maybe the story becomes canon if a remake comes out, probably not. But as a fan of the story, that would be kind of cool. So if they wanted to add some embellishments, I'd be on board for that in theory. Because again, you can still access the old game, the original. So it's not like everyone will forget what was in that game and it will wipe away our memory of that game. If you want to just spruce it up in some ways with the proper care, then I'm okay with that. But I would take a bare bones remake also. That'd be fine too. So, so lastly... Just some legacy, some lessons here, some takeaways from the KOTOR success story. So BioWare had an idea for KOTOR 2. They were thinking, as you said, how do we top the Revan reveal? No pressure, right? So their idea, one of the ideas they were kicking around was, what if we make your mentor a member of Yoda's species, who's always coded as benevolent and wise and good, right? And then 
that mentor and master turns out to be the bad guy, right? Evil Yoda. I would would go (laughs) off for an evil Yoda. Instead of baby Yoda, just polar opposite (laughs) evil Yoda. So I would have wanted that. I (laughs) would have ate that up. I yeah. would have ate that up. Oh, so that, that idea is so still good. out there for anyone who wants it. If uh, if Baby Yoda, if Grogu's going to do a hill turn at any point, <laughs> I would a, love still, that. I would eat that up. Possibility. I would eat I would, that up. I would. Oh I, that might God. just end Mallory. I I don't want that to happen just for her sake. I would love Grogu to be evil, but I also love evil characters. I love the villains in anything, and I'm like, if Grogu just grow to be a villain. I would go yeah, nuts. I'd, I'd go like, crazy. I'd like to see him tempted at least. I'd like to see him dabble yeah. in the dark side. He keeps just accidentally <laughs> killing like, people. Yeah, I mean, and he's just like, oh, well, I like he this. He does like eat a lot of frog eggs <laughs> yeah. and things that could be construed as dark that side. Was, like, if, that was if his villain origin story was yeah. eating the eggs. <laughs> if you ate the eggs, you would definitely get like dark side points. Like, like, <laughs> I, I would like the idea, but by the time he's like, what? Because he's like, they assume he's yeah. like 50. When mm-hmm. he's like 60, he starts just doing it out of anger. Just yeah, doing it to betray people. Like, like, teen rebellion eating. phase. I'm already right? full, but I'm going to keep eating <laughs> <Yeah>. these. <laughs> so... In the end, Bioware did not develop KOTOR 2. They didn't want to work on a one-year timeline. It was hard enough to get KOTOR out in like three years. So one year, no thanks, right? And also they wanted to create and own their own IP instead of playing in someone else's sandbox. So they went on with the same engine to make Jade Empire. And then, of course, they created Mass Effect. So they have their own space epic and enjoyed a long run of success, although they've had a ton of turnover and retirements and uh, cancellations and flops, and they've faltered lately. So I think uh, people want Bioware to get back to being the Bioware of old, right? With the upcoming Dragon Age and Mass Effect games, we'll see whether that happens. But KOTOR 2 did come out from Obsidian in 2004, so really quick turnaround. It's a very good game. Similar mechanics and engine just look sort of the same place, sort of the same, but did improve on the original in some respects. The moral choices are more ambiguous. There's a character called Kreia, who's really celebrated kind of taking things even more in the Jolie Bindo, Grey Jedi can't be pinned down and classified direction, but very rushed, very buggy sort of unfinished, right? Modders kind of had to pull out unfinished portions of the game that were not actually in the product that shipped to sort of restore the true intention for the game. So that's what you're getting into. And Obsidian pitched KOTOR 3, but LucasArts didn't bite. They wanted something more mass market, which turned out to be Battlefront, the first Battlefront, which was a success, but went in a different direction than KOTOR. But the characters and the lore from KOTOR did have an afterlife, right? So Revan appeared in a novel, an Old Republic novel by the writer of KOTOR. There was a KOTOR comics run. Of course, uh, Bioware made the MMO, The Old Republic, which came out in 2011, and there was an expansion for that called Shadow of Revan. And these characters have taken on a life of their own in the imaginations of many Star Wars fans. You know, you see cosplayers, you're going to see a lot of Revens and Bastilas and HKs, and they have action figures, right? Which kind of lends an authenticity. It's like you're real. You're a real character if you are action figured, regardless of whether you're in the canon or not. So KOTOR's not canon but it's still very present in contemporary Star Wars stories. It's just cast along shadow 
over the franchise to this day. And a few years ago in 2019, BuzzFeed News reported that a KOTOR movie, potentially a KOTOR trilogy, was being written. And Kathleen Kennedy, president of Lucasfilm, acknowledged that something was in development. She said, we talk about that all the time. We haven't heard anything about that since. So it's sort of mothballed and memory hold oh, like a lot of Star Wars movie Bob projects. Bob Iger, shut <laughs> yeah. that down right, right now. Bob Iger's yeah. probably like, uh, give it a, another 12 years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> 12 years. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he'll be the one to resurrect it. We'll see. But somewhere there's a script floating around in a vault at Lucasfilm somewhere. So even though KOTOR is not canon, many of the elements of KOTOR are, you know, in the way that a lot of elements of what used to be called the expanded universe and now has been rebranded as Legends by Disney. All that stuff keeps creeping back into the current canon because it's cool and because a lot of fans who grew up with that stuff like me feel a fondness for it. And so Dave Filoni, who, of course, is totally plugged into all the legend stuff and is always looking for ways to sort of sneak legend stuff into the current canon. Revan was supposed to appear in season three of The Clone Wars and was cut, but he has been canonized his existence, at least, if not his whole backstory. He showed up in a book last year, and there's a, a Revan Legion that's mentioned in The Rise of Skywalker, right? And then just a lot of other little nods and callbacks, like the planets of Manan and Terrace are in the canon now, or some of the species, the Selkath or the Rakatans get a shout out in Andor, of all things. And the company Zerka has been mentioned, the HK series, right? It's like if you played KOTOR and you love HK-47 and you're a Star Wars creator, you're like, how can I get HK into the current kit? <laughs> yeah. How can I be the one to resurrect HK like Thrawn has been resurrected, you know? And these characters, like along with Thrawn and Mara Jade and all of these uh, legends from Legends, like they're right up there when it comes to the most prominent Star Wars characters who do not originally come from the movies, you know? Even some of the ships, like the the Hammerhead Corvette from this game you can see in Rebels and Rogue One. And some things are not explicit nods, but you kind of wonder, like the Kylo Ray relationship, like shades of Revan and Bastla, or Kylo's mask kind of looks like Revan's. It's like, was this sort of a spiritual inspiration, if not an explicit one? So KOTOR lives on in many forms and fashions, even after 20 years. Also, yeah, when I saw the mask, I was like, oh, this looks like Kylo Ren. There's yeah, a lot of does. things in the that, that I think they probably did purposefully that is genuinely like descendants of descendants of descendants, whether it's just in costume. I was like, oh, these costumes look exactly the same as these right. ones. Yeah, it's all overlapping and sort mm -hmm. of incestuous, right? It's like Revan and Malak are kind of inspired by Darth Vader, and then Kylo is inspired by Darth Vader, but maybe he's also inspired by these intermediate Sith Lords. Who knows? So it's hard to say, but there's definitely a, a long legacy for KOTOR within the Star Wars universe. And I guess outside of the Star Wars universe, the lesson for any IP-based game, anything that's trying to adapt source material is... Treat the license lovingly, try to port over what people loved about the original, but put your own stamp on it, you know, do something different with it, change the setting, whatever you're going to do, make it not just a total imitation of the original, right? Strike off in your own direction. That's what KOTOR did and easier said than done and obviously a talented team that did it, but if any other adaptation is looking to KOTOR, how do we channel that sort of success? I think that's the model for future Star Wars games or 
any sort of IP-based nerd culture kind of video game adaptation. Absolutely. 100%. I agree. Well, I'm glad you got to experience KOTOR for the first time. <laughs> I loved it. I'm obsessed with it. I'm, I'm so glad. I genuinely, it's I, it's so weird uh, how much I love this game. <laughs> well, it, I, it's so weird, but it makes sense once you play it. You're like, yeah, the story's amazing. It's well, such a good story. Look, we all have holes in our video game experience. Even if we've been playing since we were kids, even if it was some legendary game, we can't play everything. We all have some legendary game that's just like, yeah, I never played that. Like, that's just a, a void for me, right? But yeah. so many times, if you can eventually catch up, it's like, okay, I get what all the fuss was about. So 100%. if you had hated it, then I wouldn't have wanted you to pull your punches. You could have indulged the Darth Clemens and just come in with the hater take. Oh, and... absolutely. I still would have if I didn't like <laughs> yeah. it. But I genuinely, yeah. it's my Across the Spider-Verse. It's very fun. It's good. The story shouldn't have been so good. All right. Everyone, check it out. If like Jess, you haven't yet. You got to get in on this now, and I'm going to go with the light side ending to this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone. What a pleasure it was to talk to you about KOTOR today. Remember that you can email us at ringerversegaming at gmail.com to share your KOTOR memories and nominate other great games to revisit. Thanks to KOTOR fan Steve Allman for producing and to Arjuna Ramkapal for also loving KOTOR enough to give us the go-ahead for this episode. Keep an eye on the feed for the Midnight Boys on Tom Cruise Control on Wednesday and House of R later this week on 2023's First Half Highlights and multiple takes on Secret Invasion Episode 4. Jess and I will be back with a new episode and perhaps a new name later this month. Until <laughs> then, we will leave you with some wise words about love from a man who has loved and lost. Take it away, Jolie Bindo. The Jedi, with their damnable sense of overcaution, would tell you love is something to avoid. Thankfully, anyone who's even partially alive knows that's not true. Love doesn't lead to the dark side. Passion can lead to rage and fear and can be controlled. But passion is not the same thing as love. Controlling your passions while being in love, that's what they should teach you to beware. But love itself will save you, not control.